if you have your Bible with you, please turn there and we'll read the entire chapter of this letter. And then we're going to talk about a few points that um, God laid on my heart throughout this week so that uh, we could grow closer to him, grow stronger in our faith so that we could know and be confident that he's always with us. And that's the whole point of um, worshiping God is to realize again, we have this relationship with God. We have this connection with God. And it's, it's not just on Sunday morning. It's seven days a week. And aren't you glad of that? Amen. I'm glad it's more than just an hour on a Sunday morning. I'm glad that God's with me 24-7. And he's always watching over us all. So James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And James is in the middle of his, of his letter. And he's talking to Christians. And he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires of battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? I'll stop for just a second right there. That is so true, isn't it? Friendship with the world that we live in today is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to ask, if it, is the, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Let's pray together again. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant, James, who, writes the, who, who wrote in such a clear fashion, God, that it's very hard not to understand what he's saying. So I pray, Father, today you just guide and direct me, my mouth, my heart, my mind, as I seek to speak from your word, about your word, and, and point people to you. God, I'm really not in the equation, really. I'm just asking, Father, for you to use me. I know, Father, that um, you're with me. I know, Father, your, your, your hand is guiding me, and I know that you're on this, your hand is on this church. And I pray for your blessings on each one, whether they're here in person or at home watching on Facebook Live, I just pray for your blessing to be with each one of us, Father. We thank you for this privilege of being called your family, your people, and we ask, Father, you would guide and direct us today and every day in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever wonder why people make decisions that seem so misguided and produce results that are so detrimental to them and to others? Do you ever ask yourself about that? Do you ever look at the world around you and you see people and you wonder, what were they thinking? Right. I mean, we see it. We sometimes I've done that. I've done things and I've stopped and looked at what I did. 
And I wonder, what was I thinking in the moment that I did that? It's kind of that human nature thing to just act out, to just do things that we think, well, that, that would be fun or entertaining or, or that would produce a good result. And we know that the decision was not a good decision. Our world is so full of this today. Our world is so wandered so far off from God. It's, it amazes me sometimes when I watch the news or I watch uh, documentaries about what's going on in our culture. It's amazing how far our culture has wandered away from God. Uh, it's like this man who was attacked by a tiger. He, he, he saw this tiger rushing out of the jungle at him, so he, he began to run, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he came to this cliff. And he looked over the cliff, and there was this branch growing out, like a tree branch, a tree growing out from the cliff. So he jumps over the cliff, and he grabs onto that branch. He's hanging there. And so there's the tiger up above him a few feet, and then out of a hole comes this little mouse. And this little mouse, for whatever reason, for whatever rhyme, why he did it this time, begins to chew on that branch, on the roots of that branch. And the branch, over time, slowly begins to kind of give way because the mouse or rat or whatever is chewing away at that, weakening that branch. And the, and the man, he's looking around, and he's realizing, I'm in a tough spot. And he looks down, it's about a thousand foot drop below. Certain death. He looks at that mouse chewing the branch. He looks up at the the tiger up there above him growling, just wanting to eat him, and he doesn't know what to do. He looks up to heaven and he goes, if anybody's up there, God, if you're up there, would you help me? I'll do anything you ask, just help me. Now, I've heard people say that before to me, that I've said to God, God, please help me. And out of the blue, out of the blue just out of the sky, comes this massive booming voice that says, will you really do what I want you to do? And the man says, yes, I'll do it, just save me. Well, there's only one way to save you, and it's going to take a lot of courage and a lot of faith. And the man says, just tell me what to do, God, and I'll do it. I'll do it. And the, and the voice says, let go of the branch. The man looks over at that mouse, and the limb is slowly teetering down. And he looks up at that tiger, and the tiger's just drooling away, wanting to eat him. He looks down, and he sees that thousand-foot drop, and then he looks back up, and he goes, is there anybody else up there? That's kind of the way our world is, isn't it? Our world is saying, is there anybody else up there? Isn't that amazing? God speaks, he moves, and it's like, well, I don't know if I like that answer. Is there anybody else up there? Our world does that. A lot of people, I've met some of them, a lot of people refuse to let God help them. They think faith in God is like looking down at a thousand foot drop and they simply won't let go. They're always asking, is there anybody else that can help me? James has been talking a lot about this relationship with God, and I like that. He talks a lot about this personal, intimate relationship with God, and this is what a lot of people are missing out on today. They think that, that religion or faith or God is just this, this thing that, that's there, that God is just there, and I've got to make the best of my life, and and maybe somebody that I know will help me, but I don't know if God's going to help me. And I'm not sure I really want to do what God says to do. And James talks a lot about how just have faith in God, have this relationship with God. Let him make those decisions that will produce good results, good fruit in your life that will benefit you and benefit others as well. We often think this relationship with God is all about me and him when actually it's me, him and others, too. The decisions I make as a pastor or a man, 
impact other people's lives. My family, Anna, our children and grandchildren, a church, friends, extended family. All the decisions, that not, not all, but a lot of the decisions that I make can impact lots of people. That's true for me. That's true probably for you. That's true for the church. If we will simply let go and give God control of our lives, He'll do things that will benefit us and those around us. But we've got to learn to let go. That's why point number one on your outline this morning, point number one, James says simply this, says submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. Voluntarily, freely of your own will, submit yourself to God. Something that I like about James, I've said this before, and I just love the, the letter of James, he speaks very plainly and very clearly. There's no misunderstanding what he's trying to get to here, what he's trying to teach you and I. Look at in verse 7. He says, Submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wow. James tells us that there is a God that exists, but there is also a devil. That there is this devil who we call Satan, he exists too. And James tells us here in verse 7 and 8 that the devil is inferior to God. Now that'll shock some people that you might tell that to because lots of people believe that good and evil are equal. That God and the devil are equals and they're battling out over this world and over people's lives and for influence and power. But that's simply not true. The devil is inferior to God because, the, because God created the devil. Now the devil has some power, he has some authority, but only because God allows him that measure of authority and power. And, get this, James tells us in some ways the devil is inferior to God's people. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That means you have some power over the devil. You can resist him and he will flee from you. But in order to force the devil to flee from you, you first need to have God in your life. Not everybody can make the devil run away. Not everybody in the world can say, devil, I resist you, get out of here. You first got to have God in your life. That's why James says in the beginning of verse 7, submit yourselves to God. First, verse 7 again, submit yourselves then to God. He doesn't talk about God and the devil first. He says, submit yourselves to God. And there's a reason for that. Well, how do we do that? Well, some of you have already done that. Most of you have probably already done that. Some on, on, on Facebook Live watching right now have done that. Many others have not. How do we do this then? Well, everyone follows the same pattern. First, we need to acknowledge to God who He is. We need to say, God, here's who you are. You are Creator. You are Father. You are Savior. You are holy. You are perfect. And then we have to admit what we are. And what are we? Sinners in need of forgiveness. Each and every one of us. We all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. We need this relationship with God. If you were to go with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and 9, John tells us there that if we confess our sins to God, He will forgive us and purify us from unrighteousness. Let me just go there and read that. You can go there too if you want to. 1 John chapter 1. It's right before Revelation. It's right before Jude and Revelation. Sorry. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from Him, meaning Jesus and God, and declared to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie 
and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So if we confess our sins to God, God will forgive us and purify us from unrighteousness. Wow. And then through his presence in us, when we do that, that's how we begin to have this relationship with God. We confess our sins to God. He accepts us through the blood of Christ. And, and he, he begins to forgive us. He begins to change us. And through his presence in us and through his power, we're able to resist the devil and tell the devil to leave. And the devil will leave. He'll leave us alone because God will be with us. And we won't be walking in darkness, spiritual darkness. We'll be walking in spiritual light because God will shine the way. That's the relation every person can have with God. I can't force you to take the, step into that relationship. And I can't keep you from it either. Praise God for that. Amen. I can't keep anybody but myself from a relationship with God. I'm so glad of that. Nobody can keep me from a relationship with God. It used to be that they could. It used to be that churches could do that. Could force you and say, uh, you can't worship here. Because you're not, you don't believe what we believe and you don't, you don't do what we say you ought to do when all what we need to be doing is what God says to do. Look at verse 9 back in James chapter 4. Verse 9, he says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Grieve, mourn, and wail. These three words, they're all actions. They're all verbs. They're all actions of sorrow. We act this way when a loved one dies, don't we? We grieve over their loss. We wail and cry. We mourn the separation. So we, we act this way when someone we love dies or when something really traumatic happens, we do the same thing. Something overwhelmingly traumatic happens to us and we, we break down. Why don't we do that over our sin? Why don't we do that over our sin? We should. We should. Sin breaks our bonds with God. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah that for all like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to his own way. We've broken the bond with, of God through our sin. So why don't we grieve over that? Even as believers, we should grieve over our sin. And the good news is in verse 10. Look at verse 10. John said, or James says there, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. See what happens when you grieve, wail, and mourn? You know what happens to people physically? They tend to fall down. They sit down or they lay down on the ground or the floor. And here God says, what? Humble yourselves before God and God will lift you up so you can stand before Him. Meaning that a, a, a posture of acceptance. To stand before the King means that you've accepted into His presence and allowed to speak to Him. And God will forgive you. And He will bless you. And He will guide you. And I love this about Proverbs Proverbs has a great deal of wisdom in Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Maybe some of you out there watching, you've wandered off the path and you, you don't know how to get back to God. Well, go to God. Weep over your sin. Admit it to Him. Don't admit it to me. You don't have to. Admit it to Him. Get with Him. Speak to Him. Let Him speak back to you and... and let Him lift you up out of your sorrow. Let Him help deal with the problems you're facing because maybe you made a bad decision and now you've got to deal with that bad decision and you need God's help. 
You see, this is so simple, isn't it? It's so simple, this relationship with God. It's got to be active. It's got to be acknowledging who He is and what we are. It's got to be continual. It's just not something you do once. You do it all the time. Now, I get the reluctance. I, I do. I get the reluctance people have in trusting God. I was that way myself. I was that way myself. I, I, I didn't trust God at all. I wasn't going to blindly trust any preacher either. I wasn't going to blindly trust anybody. So here's what I did. I prayed. I prayed and asked God to do something for me to prove himself. And if God did this that I asked him to do, if he did it, I told God I would give him my life and do whatever he wanted me to do. I told him that. And God did it. He did this thing that I asked him to do. It wasn't all that big a deal as far as something God. It wasn't a miraculous thing in the sense of I didn't ask God to give me a new arm or a new whatever. I didn't ask for anything like that. I asked for something very simple. I asked God to give me a job so I could take care of my family better. And God did that. And when God did that, I acknowledged to him he had done that. And I gave him my life. And he changed my life. Changed my life dramatically. He became my father. And I'm so glad that he did. In Hebrews 12, verse 9, listen to what it says. It says this, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? If you had a good father, and you know that I did not have a good father, but if you had a good father, at some point in your life, he did discipline you in some way. Might not have been a spanking. It might have been he took away something from you or, or made you sit down and be quiet for a while or whatever. He disciplined you and you grew to respect him for that. Why would we not treat God the same way? Why would we not see God's discipline as something good and beneficial for us, teaching us how to relate to him and how to live a life that he's given us? And why would we not submit ourselves to that? So here's what I would say to those of you who are reluctant to just simply take the word of a preacher or take God's word just blatantly at, at, at what it says. If you're reluctant to accept the Bible, here's what I would say to you. Just ask God to do something. Ask God to do something only he can do. Let it be just between you and him and see what God does. But let me just say this. Everything you say to God, you have to mean it. See, I meant it when I said to God, God, I'll give you my life. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I really meant it because I really wanted to take a better care of my family. I wanted a better job. I had a, I had a job, and it was barely enough. But we had a child coming, and I wanted to do better by my family. And I meant what I said, and, and when God answered that, I knew he answered my prayer. So you have to mean it. When you say something to God, if you challenge God, you better mean what you say. Amen? Amen. Well, then two, number two, point number two in your outline. James says this. He said, be careful what you say about others. Here's where a lot of people get in trouble today, isn't it? We talk. And we talk about other people in ways that are not always um, nice or polite or respectful. James says, be careful how you talk about her. Now, remember... He's writing to Christians. He wrote to Christians. Verse 11, look at it. He says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. He's talking about slander here. 
He's talking about slandering somebody else. Do not slander one another. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about that. To slander someone in the ancient world was one of the worst things you could do. It was a terrible, terrible behavior. It was bad. It was something nobody wanted to do. If you did it casually, he could take that other person could take you to court. Or they could even, in some cultures, even physically attack you for it. If you offended somebody by saying something, now slander is lying about somebody. Slander is not speaking the truth. It's really lying about somebody. And that person in the ancient culture, some of the ancient cultures, they could physically attack you for doing that. In verse 11, James says, brothers, you know, I like that. Don't slander each other. He doesn't say this, but I believe it's in there. Don't slander other unbelievers either. Slander in the Bible is when we make up our own standard of right and wrong. We decide this is the right, this is the standard of right and wrong. I'm going to make everybody else live up to it. This person doesn't live up to it. I'm going to say that, that I'm going to hold them to that standard. And I'm not going to worry about me living up to it because it's my standard. Christians should never slander another Christian. Never. We should never slander another Christian because all Christians are family. We are what? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Doesn't matter how old you are as a believer. Doesn't matter your skin color, your social economic situation. Nothing matters in the church about those things. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. If you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're my brother in Christ. Amen. Or sister. So James also reminds us we're all going to be judged by God. We're all going to be judged by God. So we don't judge the law. We don't judge God. We don't judge each other. God's going to judge us for all the things we do in this life. Verse 12. Look at it. Verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? In Matthew 15, verse 19, Jesus said this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, or, and slander. And slander. You see, only God can see the heart of another person. He can only, he's the only one who can know the intent of that other person. He's the only one who knows their weaknesses that they have in their nature. He knows ours as well. So we shouldn't slander others. We shouldn't slander believers, and we certainly should not slander unbelievers. How are we going to reach the unbelievers with the gospel if we slander them? Think of Westboro Baptist Church in Topeka that go out and protest funerals and all kinds of things, all kinds of different things. Think about that. How do they expect to reach anybody when they go out there and say that God hates them? God doesn't hate them. God doesn't hate the homosexual. God loves them. Jesus died for them too. God wants to have a relationship with them to change their life like He changed our lives. So how are we going to reach people if we slander them? We have to be careful about these things. And then returning to the idea of submitting ourselves to God, look at point number three. James says, be careful about your plans. Be careful about the plans that you make. Look at verse 13. James says there in verse 13, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Life can be boiled down to one very simple principle. The meaning of life is very simple, especially for Christians is what I want to do God's will for me. You could really boil it all down to that. If you want to know about your life, the meaning of your life, is what I want to do in this moment 
what God wants me to do. Is it part of His will for me? Now, I get it. When we were young, when I was young, we all have dreams, right? We all have dreams about being this or that, going to school and getting this education, doing all these different things, becoming something. Some of us just wanted to get by. That's okay. I was that way for a long time. I just wanted to make a living, take care of my family, do all right. I didn't have no vast, dramatic dream about, you know, whatever. But what if we sought God's will for our lives? Even today, what if today we sought God's will for our lives? Think of the sorrows and the mistakes we might miss out on if we let God lead us and direct us. I don't know how many of you ever read the book of Job. I've read it and studied a lot. I love the book of Job. Job 17, verse 11, Job says this. He evaluates his life and he says, My days have passed. My plans are shattered and so are the desires of my heart. Isn't that sad? He said, my days are gone. The plans I'd made that I wanted to enjoy life, they are broken up and shattered. And, and the desires of my heart are gone. That's sad. That's terrible. Job said the plans he made for himself, the desires he had for himself and his family, none of it worked out and it totally broke him. Now you can't stop there with Job. You also have to know he also submitted himself to God. And you know that if you know Job's story. Remember Job's story. What happened after he lost everything? What did he say? Do you remember? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He says that at the very beginning of his tragedies. He lost his children, his wealth, many of his servants who he probably considered friends. He lost children. And he could stand there and say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know how he could do that? He could do that because he had submitted himself, his life, to God. James is telling us to seek God's guidance for our life. That God will get us through those times that shatter our dreams, that tear apart our desires. But if we let him guide us, he'll also give us better dreams and better desires. We should ask him lots of questions, shouldn't we? We should be asking God lots of questions. Like, where do you really want me to live? And who, where should I go to work for? Who should I go to work for? What should I do? What do I do with my income that you give me that I can earn? How do I honor you, God, for giving me that ability to make an earning and the opportunity to make an earning? Who should we marry? We should be telling our children that, to pray about that, talk to God about who you should marry or who you should be friends with should be friends with everybody in general, but there are also those friendships you want that are more intimate, closer. How do we manage our relationships, especially when they get rocky? And how do we raise these kids? Lord, I need help with these kids. How do I raise them? As a church, Cornerstone sought God's guidance about 11 years ago, didn't we? Remember that? We all sat on here on a Sunday night and we, and we wrestled through several Sunday nights and we wrestled through about what do we do? Do we buy the land? Do we not buy the land? Do we stay here? Or do we buy the land to plan to move sometime? God led us then, didn't he? I believe he did. I believe God's going to lead us again. I believe he's leading us right now in selling the property and building for tomorrow. I believe that because I pray about that. And I ask God to guide and direct us all, not just me, but all of us, because we're in this together. 
I like something David said in Psalm 20, verse 4. I really like this. He says this is a, it's a, a blessing, really. David writes there, he says, May he send you help from the sanctuary, grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you, may he, God, give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. God will do that, but we have to be in his will, don't we? Amen. Amen. That's what we should want for other people too. Not just for ourselves, but for other people who are believers also and for people who might become believers to the ministry of this church. See, we don't know who all is going to come into the kingdom through us. We've seen lots of people come into the kingdom in the past, haven't we? We, we, have, we have baptismal records to show people came into the kingdom to the ministry of this church. I believe God wants to do that more and more. But we've got to be in His will. And we've got to let him lead and guide us and direct us. And we have to talk to God to know that. Some of you might be asking, how can you have God's help? How can I have God's help in my life? How can I achieve the desires of my heart and have my plans succeed? How? By what I've been talking about, by submitting yourself to God. Romans 10, 9, if you, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, Lord, believe in your heart, God, raise him from the dead, you will be saved. That's simple. And there's nobody holding you back. I'm not holding you back. It's just you and God. Amen? It's you and God. You have to make that decision to submit yourself to God, just like I did. And you have to do it every day. You have to give Him your life every day. You have to remember the relationship every day. How do we begin the relationship? We do it by saying a prayer, by doing what I said earlier, by admitting to God who He is and acknowledge to God what we are. And you do that through a very simple prayer, and I'll lead you through that here in just a second. So if you'd like to do that, just bow with me, would you please? If you're here today, if you're watching, and maybe you're already a believer in Christ, you've been baptized, you're a member of this church or another church, and you're a faithful Christian, but you know somebody who isn't, why don't you pray for them while I pray this prayer? And if you're ready to pray this prayer, just repeat after me, all right? Let's bow. Dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge to you that I need the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can give. Father, you are the creator of the world. You're my creator. And so I pray, God, today, Lord Jesus, I pray, God, that you would forgive me of my sins, come into my life, be my Savior, Lord, today and every day. Amen. I hope you prayed that prayer. And if you did, I hope that you'll call me, 785-843-0442. Give me a call. I'd love to talk to you about what to do next. Let's all get ready to sing a song of invitation. Maybe today someone here in this sanctuary ready to join the church family, ready to uh, make some commitment to him. Maybe you just need someone to pray with. I'd be glad to come up. I'd be glad to pray with you. Come up. So let's uh, get ready to sing this.